Chapter 9 of Fairy Fingers, a novel by Anna Cora Mawat Ritchie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Kelly Taylor. Chapter 9 The Empty Place. It chanced that Bertha's letter to Maurice was posted the next morning without the knowledge of Count Tristan and his mother not however through any preconcerted arrangement on the part of bertha her character was so frank so transparent her actions always so unveiled her thoughts flowed in such an instinctive current towards her lips that the idea of concealment could have no spontaneous existence in her mind she made no allusion to the letter until it was gone but that was purely accidental though not the less fortunate had count tristan been aware that such a letter had been written it would never have reached its destination it was somewhat singular that the count whose code of honour would have forced him to resent at the sword's point the faintest hint that he could be guilty of an unworthy action would not have scrupled to intercept a letter to distort a fact we use the mildest phrase to stoop to any deception to be guilty of any treachery if he were powerfully prompted by what he termed family considerations which simply meant his own personal interest he had determined to keep maurice in ignorance of madeleine's flight as long as possible that the chances of discovering her retreat might be diminished and was greatly in the wily schemer's consternation when he learned that bertha had unadvisedly frustrated his plans by writing to her cousin madeleine's value had never been estimated to its just height until her place was empty it is not in human nature to prize that which we possess to hold its full worth until it is lacked and lost alas in how many households there moves with noiseless feet some placid patient yet potent spirit with hands ever ready to toil to soothe a smile ever kindled to comfort or encourage a voice that turns common words to grace imparting hope and dispensing joy a presence full of helpfulness and peace a being grown familiar to our eyes by every day's association whom we carelessly greet or jostle against unheeding or thrust aside impatiently never dreaming that our working-day mortal could she cast off this garment of clay would stand revealed one of god's holy messengers commissioned to minister that is until we suddenly find her place empty yet trace the touch of her delicate fingers the print of her light footsteps everywhere around us and feel the dreary void made in our hearts by her absence and recognize too late that we have entertained an angel unawares throughout the chateau de gramont there was no one save count tristan who did not make some reflection though vague and undefined perhaps while thinking of madeleine the ancient domestics seemed completely lost without her guiding hand her spirit of order systematizing and lightening all their duties everything was in confusion everything went wrong dearly as they loved her they had never before realized that mademoiselle madeleine had been of so much importance and assistance to them all 
the countess missed her every moment and interested as were her regrets they were not unmingled with some faint self-reproach when she remembered how lightly she had prized her surfaces the antiquated femme de chambre had never appeared so clumsy purblind and stupid and the more her stately mistress chided her the more bewildered bettina became the more blunders she committed even a bearing as majestic as that of the noble lady could not neutralizing the caricaturing effect of a robe pinned awry curls with long straight ends standing out porcupine fashion a cap obstinately bent upon inclining to one side and a collar with a strong tendency to avoid a central position as for bertha naturally restless excitable and untutored in the art of calming the agitation of her mind by active employment she could do nothing but wander in and out of her aunt's apartment stand at the window watching for the postman beating the devil's tattoo upon the panes counting the hours fretting over their insupportable length and breaking out at intervals in piteous lamentations it was with difficulty that she could be persuaded to appear at table and she scarcely tasted food glancing up at the faded flowers in the hanging baskets suspended before the windows and to the withered bouquets in the tall vases that stood on either side baskets and vases which madeleine had ever kept freshly supplied bertha could scarcely restrain her tears as she murmured mournfully ah i know now what the english poet's ophelia meant when she said all the violets withered when her father died all our flowers faded when madeleine went baptiste who was standing beside her chair rubbed his eyes and the sigh that would not be checked was audible to her quick ears she turned to give him a glance which recognized his sympathy and noticed that there was no gay-looking blossom in his buttonhole that day this was an unmistakable expression of sorrow on the part of baptiste for he never assumed the compulsory office of butler without asserting his preference for his legitimate vocation of gardener by a flower in his coat bertha had never seen him dispense with the floral decoration before and she comprehended its absence but too well her nervous disquietude increased every hour and caused her aunt a species of petty martyrdom resembling the torture of perpetual pin-pricking the incessant buzzing of a stinging gnat the endless creaking of rusty door-hinges minor miseries often more unendurable than some great mental or physical suffering but although the patience of the countess was wearied out bertha was too great a favorite to be rebuked count tristan discreetly fled the field and thus avoided his share of the infliction bertha's letter reached maurice the day after it was written and found him in a state of such torpid despondency that any summons to action even the most painful was a blessing he felt that the only chance of combating his sorrow and preventing it obtaining full mastery over all his faculties was to work off the sense of depression by hard study to battle against it with the arms of some engrossing occupation but how could he spur himself up to study without an object 
and he was as far as ever from obtaining his father's consent to fitting himself for the bar or from any other professional pursuit no there was only one pursuit left open to him the pursuit of pleasure and he had not sufficiently recovered from his late shock to start off in chase of that elusive phantom bertha's letter roused him out of this miserable mind-paralyzing apathy in the very next train which left for rennes he was on his way back to brittany it was the fourth day after madeleine's departure those days had seemed months to bertha the weariest months of her brief glad life she was standing at a window that commanded the road her favorite post and the only locality where she ever remained quiet for any length of time when the carriage in which maurice was seated drove up the avenue with a joyful exclamation she rushed out of the room darted down the stair through the hall into the porch and had greeted maurice before any one but the old gardener knew that he had arrived have you heard from her were her cousin's first words gaspingly uttered not a line she will never write she will never come back oh maurice i have lost all hope sighed bertha dear bertha we will find her let her go where she may i will find her be sure of that i will not rest until i do his grandmother attracted by bertha's exultant ejaculation had followed her though with more deliberate steps and now appeared the cruel words the countess had spoken to madeleine were ringing in the ears of maurice and he saluted his noble relative respectfully but not with his usual warmth i am glad you have come back to us maurice bertha is so lonely the lips of maurice parted but some internal warning checked the bitter words before they formed themselves into sound he bowed gravely and entering the house remarked to bertha you wrote that all the servants had been examined yes all they know nothing of madeleine's flight that is impossible one of them at least must have some knowledge maurice rang the bell it was bettina who replied gustave she said was in the stable and baptiste in the garden the answers of the femme de chambre to the young vicomte were clear and unhesitating no one could doubt for a moment that she was wholly ignorant of madeleine's movement and her tone and manner evinced as forcibly as any language could have done how deeply she mourned over her absence elise was next summoned and her replies were but a repetition of bettina's i will not send for gustave and baptiste he observed dismissing the two female domestics i will walk out and see them and i will go with you said bertha the countess was too pleased to see the cousins together to object gustave was grooming a horse as they passed by the stable he paused in his work to welcome the vicomte and added in the same breath monsieur will find it very dull at the chateau now it does not seem like the same place since mademoiselle madeleine left have you no idea how she went gustave some of you must surely know i know nothing monsieur 
when they told me that mademoiselle madeleine was gone it was as though a thunderbolt had struck me i have never felt good for anything since there was too much sincerity too much feeling in his tone for maurice to doubt him or deem further questioning necessary he walked sadly away accompanied by bertha baptiste was busy near the little chalet he seemed to hover about it constantly as of late he was aware of the return of the young master he bowed to him as he was descending from the carriage when bertha and her cousin approached the venerable domestic his trepidation was too obvious to escape their notice he was pruning the luxuriant growth of some of the vines madeleine had planted and the hand which held his knife shook and committed unintentional havoc among the blossoming branches baptiste come in i have something to talk to you about said maurice entering the chalet with bertha how painfully that pleasant little retreat reminded him of madeleine for the moment he was overpowered and dropped into a chair covering his eyes with his hands perhaps because he could not bear the sight of objects which called up such agonizing recollections perhaps because his eyes were dim with too much womanish a moisture dear maurice said bertha bending over him compassionately if madeleine only knew how wretched she had made us both surely she would not forsake us so cruelly maurice by a gesture prayed her to sit down baptiste stood in the doorway his attitude betokened a reluctance to enter and a desire to quickly be dismissed after a long interval the vicomte slowly raising his hand was again struck by the perturbed mien of the guileless old man whose native simplicity warmth and ingenuousness would have melted any mask he attempted to assume maurice had almost abandoned all expectation that he would receive any information from the domestics but now he experienced a sudden renewal of hope baptiste he said scrutinizing the ancient gardener closely do you not know where mademoiselle madeleine is no monsieur the reply was uttered in a tone of genuine sadness you cannot even guess no monsieur do you know how she left here no monsieur baptiste you are not speaking falsely you are not trifling with me if you are you can hardly know how cruelly you are adding to my sorrow i have spoken the exact truth monsieur i am sure he has maurice interrupted bertha i have never known baptiste to utter even a white lie he has a great horror of falsehood as madeleine herself baptiste looked at her gratefully then you know nothing at all ejaculated maurice in a tone of discouragement you did not help mademoiselle madeleine in any way she must have had some assistance but from you she had none you did not even know that she intended to leave us baptiste hesitated his mouth twitched his eyes were fixed upon the ground why do you not answer baptiste asked bertha 
you did not know that mademoiselle madeleine was going did you yes mademoiselle the answer was spoken almost in a whisper you knew it and why why have you not told us this before she almost shrieked out no one asked me that question mademoiselle and mademoiselle madeleine requested me not to give out any information concerning her which i could possibly and without uttering a falsehood avoid maurice sprang up and laid his hand upon the old man's shoulder speak now then you cannot avoid telling us all you know you were aware that she was going you assisted her flight how did you aid her what did you do what do you know very little monsieur i did very little and know very little the evening before mademoiselle madeleine left she came to me in the garden she asked me if i would do her a favour i would have done her a thousand did i not owe her enough was it not she who watched beside my bed when i had that terrible rheumatic fever two years ago did she not pour out my medicine with her own white hands did she not talk to me when i was racked with pain until i thought the room was full of heavenly music and i forgot my suffering did she not keep me from cursing god when the pains were so sharp that i felt i was tortured beyond my strength did she not tell me why all anguish of soul or body should be borne patiently was there oh was there anything i would not have done for mademoiselle madeleine when she left the chateau was her loss greater to any one than it was to me and would not she have gone if she could have stayed any longer i was sure of that when she said she must go i knew she must and i never even dared to pray her to remain it was so seldom that baptiste spoke so much for he was taciturn by nature but the emotion forcibly suppressed for so many days once breaking bondage burst forth into a torrent of words you did well baptiste good faithful old man mademoiselle madeleine needed a friend and i thank heaven she had one like you do you not think we blame you only tell us all you know she came to you in the evening before she left what favour did she ask mademoiselle madeleine only asked monsieur that i would come to her when all the house was quiet that night and carry down her trunk and place it in the chalet i could not help saying oh mademoiselle madeleine are you going to leave us she answered i cannot stay baptiste i am compelled to go you are the only person here who is aware of my intention when i am gone do not give any information concerning me that you can possibly and without uttering a falsehood avoid it will be better that no one should know that i had your aid those were her exact words monsieur go on go on urged maurice as the narrator paused when all the house was quiet 
I put off my shoes and stole softly to Mademoiselle Madeleine's room. She opened the door and, without speaking, pointed to the little trunk. Old and weak as I am, I had no trouble in carrying it. It was light enough. It could not have held much. Did she not bid you adieu, then? asked Bertha. Just as I was stooping to lift the trunk, Mademoiselle Madeleine stretched out her hand and took mine. I felt her warm, soft touch the whole day after. She did not say adieu, but she looked it. She looked as though she were blessing me and thanking me. I never saw a face that said so much, so much that went to my very soul and comforted me. When she let go my hand, I took up the trunk and carried it out. She closed the door behind me without a sound, and I brought the trunk here that night and left it. That is all I know, monsieur. But how was the trunk conveyed hence? I do not know, monsieur. Did you see Mademoiselle Madeleine the next morning? inquired Bertha. No, Mademoiselle. I could not help going to the chalet the first thing when I came out to work. I pushed open the door and looked in. The trunk was not there, and I knew that Mademoiselle Madeleine had gone too. But did not Mademoiselle Madeleine drop some hint, even the faintest of her plans? asked Maurice earnestly. I have told Monsieur every word Mademoiselle Madeleine spoke to me on the subject. Someone must have aided her further. Who could it be? Who could it possibly be? mused Maurice. Baptiste was certain he knew alone who it could be, and he was pondering within himself whether he had the right to mention the note Madeleine had ordered him to deliver to Monsieur de Bois. Her request had been that he would give no further information he could honestly avoid. If it could be avoided, it was plain then that the intelligence ought not to be communicated. "'Has monsieur done with me?' he asked, as Maurice stood reflecting in silence. "'Yes, if you have nothing further to tell me.' "'Nothing further, monsieur.' Saying these words, Baptiste withdrew. "'After Madeleine was missed,' said Bertha, when the old gardener was gone, "'I was the first person who came to the chalet.' I found a handkerchief lying just by this table. It was marked G. de Bois. Gaston de Bois. Then it is clear he was Madeleine's confidant. He promoted her flight. So I thought at first, rejoined Bertha. But it seems this is not so. Your father took him the handkerchief, and he could not tell when or where he lost it. He was amazed to hear that Madeleine had left us and disclaimed all knowledge concerning her. Who then could it have been? But I will see Monsieur de Bois myself. First, let me tell you, began Bertha, and faltered. Why do you hesitate? For heaven's sake, dear Bertha, tell me everything which can throw the faintest glimmer of light upon the path Madeleine has taken. I do not know how to say what I am thinking. Perhaps I ought not to allude to it at all, yet it seems as if it might be true. Do you not remember that Madeleine confessed that she had bestowed her affections upon someone? 
since they were not given to you as i once believed i cannot help imagining that perhaps she might she might have meant gaston de bois yes maurice did not answer and bertha could say no more there was painful struggle going on in her mind though less torturing than that which convulsed the spirit of her cousin after he had somewhat recovered himself he said at all events i will see monsieur de bois if there is nothing to be learned from him if he really knows nothing concerning madeleine's departure i must seek information at rennes there is no time to lose i will call upon monsieur de bois at once the cousins parted at the door of the chalet bertha turned towards the chateau pausing on her way to talk with baptiste maurice went in the direction of his neighbor's residence count tristan's visit had taken monsieur de bois aback chiefly because he was confounded by a new proof of his own awkwardness stupidity he plainly termed it in leaving his handkerchief behind him as a witness of his presence at the chalet but there was no such confusing testimony to destroy his composure when he received maurice besides he had ample time to collect himself for he was walking in the park when his valet announced that the young viscount was awaiting him in the library he had looked forward to the return of maurice to brittany as soon as the latter heard of madeleine's mysterious disappearance Monsieur de Bois knew that it would be more difficult to prevent her being traced by her cousin than any other person, and that it was by him Madeleine herself most feared to be discovered. Gaston was therefore fully on his guard against betraying her confidence. Maurice, on his part, was keenly sensible of the difficulty of his undertaking he could not openly inquire of monsieur de bois whether madeleine had apprised him of her intentions the very question would have a tendency to compromise his cousin by suggesting that she was capable of holding clandestine communication with a young gentleman then too if monsieur de bois was really the object of her attachment he might not be aware of the preference with which she honoured him and it would be the height of indelicacy for maurice to allow him to suspect a circumstance which her modesty would scrupulously conceal he was sitting in the library pondering over the embarrassments of his position when his host entered the gentlemen greeted each other with unwonted cordiality did you return from paris to-day asked monsieur de bois have you just come about an hour ago i came to you at once to monsieur de bois interrupted him it was the policy of the former to lead the conversation that he might avoid direct questions have you heard that mademoiselle de gremont left the chateau yes my cousin bertha wrote to me and again monsieur de bois seized the thread of the conversation have you no news from mademoiselle madeleine no letter none sighed maurice convinced that as monsieur de bois plunged into the subject in this straightforward calm manner he could not possibly be in her confidence the host went on has not count tristan been able to obtain any trace of her thus far none at all what could have become of her 
where could she have gone exclaimed maurice but not in the tone of interrogation for he now felt assured that monsieur de bois could not answer one thing is certain what mademoiselle madeleine has done must have been prompted by a noble motive she could not cause you all this sorrow unless she imagined herself compelled to take this step which we must all lament you are right you only do her justice rejoined maurice what course do you propose to adopt inquired monsieur de bois with a perfectly natural air of friendly interest i hardly know what to do i should be thankful for all advice i shall first visit the prefecture at rennes to see if she obtained a passport she could not surely run the risk of attempting to travel without one if the passport be for great britain i may go to scotland possibly she may have changed her mind and accepted lady vivian's offer do you not think so it does not appear to me likely she definitely declined did she tell you so did she speak to you on the subject asked maurice hastily for the first time during the interview monsieur de bois betrayed a slight disquietude but he quickly collected himself and answered i heard lady vivian speak to mademoiselle bertha of the offer she had made her cousin and after that mademoiselle madeleine told me she had declined the proposition but if you imagine she has changed her mind would not a letter to lady vivian answer every purpose no if she should be there i must see her and use arguments which would have no force upon paper she must be there where else could she be i will start for scotland to-night now i must bid you adieu if you are going back to the chateau i will accompany you i must make my adieu to the ladies i leave for paris to-morrow indeed do you make a long stay probably the marquis de fleury promised me a secretaryship if he were sent as an ambassador to america it is uncertain when he may get the appointment but he has offered me a post of confidential secretary at once and you have accepted gladly oh monsieur de bois how i envy you you will have an object in life while i who feel as though a pent-up volcano were roaring inside me am condemned to let my struggling energies smoulder beneath the ashes of my father's autocratic will you will have heard of his opposition to my studying for the bar what is to become of me if i am deprived of every stimulating incentive to action especially now now that he checked himself suddenly he was not aware that Monsieur de Bois had been informed by Bertha of Madeleine's rejection, and Maurice could not dwell upon his own disappointment to one who might be a rival. Count Tristan may gradually be brought to contemplate your wishes with more favour. Hardly. But come, if you will accompany me, let us go. Bertha, who had been waiting impatiently for the return of Maurice, did not fly to meet him, when she saw Monsieur de Bois walking by his side as they approached the chateau. The Countess was in the drawing-room when the gentleman entered, and her majestic presence stemmed the stream of inquiries that was ready to gush from Bertha's lips.
Monsieur de Bois, who, during his interview with Maurice, had been so self-possessed that the impediment in his speech was scarcely observable, was seized anew and cast into chains by his invisible enemy. The captive struggled in vain. The avenues of speech were barricaded. All his limbs were shackled. His movements became uncertain and spasmodic, menacing tables, chairs, vases, which, had they been gifted with consciousness, must have trembled at his approach. His nervous fingers thrust themselves into his hair and threw it into ludicrous disorder. His countenance was suffused with scarlet. He stammered out something about bidding adieu, which the ladies were evidently at a loss to comprehend, until Maurice explained that Monsieur de Dubois expected to start on the morrow for Paris, where he purposed to take up his residence. "'We shall regret losing so valued a neighbor,' observed the Countess condescendingly. Bertha made no remark, though she looked as though she wished to speak and could not summon resolution. She took an opportunity, while the Countess was conversing with their guests, to whisper to her cousin, "'You ask Monsieur de Bois, and he could give you no information concerning Madeleine?' "'None at all,' replied Maurice in a low tone. Then, turning to the Countess, he said aloud, "'I also must bid you adieu, Grandmother. I am going immediately to Rennes.' If I obtain the information there, which I think probable, I shall start at once for Scotland and seek Lady Vivian. You have not consulted your father, Maurice, the Countess answered, with an emphasis which was intended to remind him that he was not a free agent. I must beg you to make my apologies to him. Maurice, though he treated his grandmother with the deference which left her no room for complaint, could not force himself to assume his wonted air of affection. His love for her had waned from the hour he listened to the unjust accusation, the reproaches, the contumely she had heaped upon the innocent and unfortunate orphan placed at her mercy. The softening veil had fallen from her character and disclosed its harsh, proud selfishness and policy. He now knew that she had offered her destitute relative shelter not from any genuine womanly feeling of tenderness and compassion, but simply because she deemed it humiliating to allow one who bore her name to be placed in a doubtful and friendless position. All Madeleine's gentleness, cheerfulness, diligence to please had failed to melt her aunt's impenetrable heart and make it expand to yield her a sacred place. The countess had misinterpreted her highest virtues, grossly insulted her by attributing shameful motives to her most disinterested conduct, and destroyed all the merit of her own benefactions by reminding the recipient of her indebtedness. Maurice felt that, truly to venerate a person, he must be moved by esteem for the noble qualities possessed. The recent revelation of his grandmother's actual attributes estranged and revolted him, until it became difficult to treat her with even the outward semblance of reverence. When the vicomte bade farewell, Monsieur de Bois also took his leave. "'You will write to me as soon as you reach Edinburgh,' pleaded Bertha to her cousin. I will certainly write, answered Maurice. Meantime, comfort yourself with the assurance 
that i will not relinquish my search until madeleine is restored to us and bertha did solace herself with that pledge for hope was a dominant characteristic of her buoyant temperament the monotonous round of blank weary days that ensued was happily broken before the week closed by the promised letter from maurice bertha whose only exciting occupation consisted in watching for the arrival and distribution of letter was in possession of the precious missive before her aunt and count tristan were aware of its arrival she tore it open and glancing through the contents uttered a cry of joy that rang through the chateau and reached the ears even of the countess and her son in the library the next moment bertha burst into the apartment laughing and crying waving the letter triumphantly over her head exclaiming in a voice now stifled with sobs now broken by hysterical mirth she is found she is found maurice has traced her oh my dear dear madeleine i shall see her again her blinding tears or her overwhelming transport prevented her noticing the totally different effect produced upon her two relatives by this rapturously uttered communication the face of the countess expressed a haughty satisfaction that her noble family had been spared some impending disgrace but count tristan's black brows contracted his malignant eyes flashed fiercely he ground his teeth with suppressed rage as he snatched the letter out of bertha's hands she flung her arms about her aunt and laid her head lovingly upon her unsympathetic bosom as though she must caress some one in the exuberant outburst of her joy meanwhile the count perused the letter my son let me hear what maurice says count tristan read i hasten to send you good news my dearest bertha at rennes i visited the prefecture to examine the list of passports knowing that madeleine must have obtained one to travel unmolested i found that her passport had been taken out for england this confirmed my impression that she had joined lady vivian in scotland the passport which as you are aware requires two responsible witnesses was signed by messieurs picard and Bousset. i sought those gentlemen to extract further information from them but singularly enough both had left brittany the day after madeleine i cannot conceive how she obtained their signatures for surely she had no acquaintance with them following this clue i started immediately for edinburgh and arrived here on wednesday evening i had no difficulty in finding the residence of lady vivian she is in london but is expected home shortly i had an interview with her venerable housekeeper who answered all my inquiries with great patience from her i learned that lady vivian was accompanied by a young french lady whom she had recently engaged as a dame de compagnie the housekeeper could not remember her foreign name but when i mentioned mademoiselle de gramont she said it sounded like that she had been informed that the young lady was very accomplished and belonged to an excellent family also that lady vivian had first heard of her during her late visit in brittany in answer to the question whether this young lady had arrived with lady vivian in london the housekeeper replied that she did not 
as she had joined her ladyship only a few days ago. Thus I feel certain that Madeleine is found. I leave for London at once, and, not many days after you receive this letter, you may expect to see us both, for I will never cease my supplications until Madeleine yields and returns with me to the Chateau de Grémont. I know what joy this intelligence will give you, my dear little cousin, and my joy is increased by the reflection of yours. The Count broke off without reading the concluding lines of the letter and remarked, Maurice came to a hasty conclusion. If Vivian's dame de compagnie should prove to be Madeleine, as it may be, there is no certainty that she will yield to his persuasions and return to us. Madeleine is very obstinate and self-willed. You must pardon me, Bertha, for throwing a damper on your hopes, but I would spare you too severe disappointment. I shall not be disappointed. I feel sure Maurice has discovered Madeleine. That is all I ask for the present. You may be right about her refusing to return here, I dare say you are, but that will not make me miserable, which I should be if we could not find her at all. I mean to ask my uncle's permission to allow Madeleine to reside with us. I do not see how he can refuse, and he is very indulgent. So that... Whether Madeleine consents to return here or not, we shall be wholly parted. Bertha did not suspect into what fury her words were lashing the Count, nor did she divine the machinations already at work within his perfidious spirit to defeat her kindly purpose. End of chapter 9